There are so many great teachers out there, but often they're being great behind the closed doors of their individual classrooms. That's why Better Lesson was started over 15 years ago, to share ideas, strategies, inspiration, all teacher to teacher, in the hopes of helping our students become their best and brightest selves. Today, we're going to continue that tradition by talking to an amazing teacher, Dr. Jesse Anderson. Jessie was Montana's 2016 Teacher of the Year, and her teaching accolades have brought her all the way to the White House twice. She's also a huge advocate for science education and of using technology in the classroom. She's authored many blended learning strategies to help other teachers do the same, but she's most proud of receiving her doctorate. She has a PhD in education, learning, instruction, and innovation from Walden University. And our host today is Roma Bertrand, Better Lessons Director of Solution Design, former educator, and our resident expert at connecting with other great educators about what makes them great. So let's get started. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us for Teacher Talk. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I I will start by sharing that, I don't know if I shared this with you before, but we worked together at Better Lesson and we're still working together. But I knew your teaching before I knew you as a person. And that is because the way I got to learn about your teaching is by utilizing the Better Lesson Master Teacher Project when I was a classroom teacher and an instructional coach at Renson Middle School. So it was probably between like 2013, 2015. And I remember that I was always looking for examples of how Technology could be used in the classroom in a way that would be really transforming the learning experience and not just uh, a copy and paste on a digital device of what we would do on a worksheet. And when I found the Better Lesson Blended Learning Master Teacher Project, which was probably 2013, when I found that, that project, when I found these 11 teachers, 12 teachers, I can't exactly remember them, and I, I found all these that. videos and all these examples, and all these ideas and strategies, I was so excited. And so I started geeking out and looking. And of course, I stumbled upon your science classroom and all that you you were doing. And I remember in particular, you were using um, Socrative, which I was using also in my class, but you were using it in such a smart way. And I was like, oh, I love what this teacher does. And then several years later, I had a chance to work with you. And I was like, it was kind of like a fan I was kind of fanboying you a little bit because I was like, I know you're teaching. I love what you do. Right, right. Did I tell you that? I mean, no, I don't know that you told me that, but I do know like, you know, when you, you see someone online and like, especially if you have a really strong digital network yeah. of educators and yeah. then you see them in person, you get, you're like, oh yeah. my goodness, yeah. I know, I know you're teaching. I know the things that you're doing and you just, you get a little giddy, like. Every yeah. one of us does because yeah, and it was that practice the, is amazing. Exactly. And it was also the golden years of like teacher Twitter, which unfortunately oh, yeah. now is long gone. But yep. where so many teachers were like getting into that space and doing talks and chats and and at and conferences and meeting at at camps and and so that that was so cool. So I'm very excited to talk to you today about you, about your teaching, about your career about um, your passions and to hear from you and learn from you. Uh, But because we started by talking about this master teacher idea, I want to start with the first question to you, which is like, how did it feel as an educator all of a sudden to be asked to think about what you do in the classroom and to think about strategies that you use, 
name them, capture them, videotape them, reflect on them so that other people can use them. How was that process for you? Hmm. That's such an interesting question and something I, I'm not sure that I have thought a lot about, but I do know when I first started and um, Jeff Liberty, who was running the project, he said to us, we're going to create strategies. And I was like, I don't even know what a strategy is. Like, here's what I do in my classroom. Like, yeah. these are all the exciting like pieces that I put together in a lesson to make it happen. And he was like, that's a strategy. Like there's individual <laughs> pieces that are strategies that when you put them together, make them a best practice. And so I think for me, it was like, it was not just like the feeling of everything being dissected, but it was more like me dissecting my own practice and being mm-hmm. like, wow, why, why did I actually do sure this that. little piece here? And like, why did I mash it up with that? Like really getting deep and meta into mm-hmm. my practice. So it was more of a learning experience for me. Like, mm-hmm. wow, how did I even get to that point and yeah. have that turn out the way that I, I imagined it was yeah. going to turn out and have the impact that it was going to have on students. So trying to be very meta over your practice and kind of like elevate yourself over what you do every day and trying to think about like, what is it that I do that could explain that my students do this? And sometimes it's obvious and sometimes we discover it by looking at it. Right. I wonder if yeah. you might have named some of these strategies after actually having looked at them as opposed to before. Oh, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they, they did not have names because I didn't <laughs> identify them as a strategy. Right. I was just like, this feels like it's best practice. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. And like now I'm naming it. <laughs> I'm like taking that chunk out and like talking about it. I will say that um, the most impactful part and also the hardest part for me was being on video. Like mm. constantly just having those those cameras around in the classroom and, and seeing what impact that had on even like student behavior, the conversations they were having with one yeah. another, and then having to look at that video. But I will say that also has made the years after that project so much easier. Like mm. I was okay, like videoing anything in my classroom and then going back and looking at it and being reflective. And when I started instructional coaching, like seeing myself mm. on video interacting with um, the teachers that I was working with, like that, that wasn't hard. So I think that was one of the the most powerful things of that project too, is not only that meta like reflection on those strategies, but getting the opportunity to just see myself in action and be comfortable with watching that and dissecting it myself. Yeah. So we're, we're like, we started almost like at one of the peaks of your career, like I'm assuming like being one of these master teachers, having your content featured forever on the website was probably a, quite a high and quite an exciting thing. A few years later, it's followed by you becoming teacher of the year for the state of Montana. So quite a stretch right. between 2013 and 2016. Uh, yep. But we're going to actually backward pedal all the way to the start. And my first question to you is, what is the first memory you have of you even thinking you wanted to become a teacher? Mm, it was second grade. I had the most phenomenal educator. Her name is Julie Betts. And she would, and this is dangerous, but she'd like stand on desks to get our <laughs> attention. And she would um, have us do these like really authentic experiences of like getting up and talking with our peers. And uh, we would have parents come in and we do community activities. Like she just was the epitome of 
just like a very invested educator who cared like so deeply about her students and and actually a, a school that had a lot of challenges right she was coming in to really try to turn um these second mm-hmm. grade classrooms around and support that community as a whole but she was amazing like she was that person that like mm-hmm. you built a relationship with and you would like as a second grader you're just like i will do anything for that that oh, lady wow. because she just like was so invested in every one of her students and i my mom even still talks about like the experience she had as a parent interacting with that teacher and, and she feels- showed up to my teacher of the year um banquet she was part of that. So it was like a full circle event. It was yeah. really exciting. And the full circle, the full circle too for me is when we, we look at your videos and your, your strategies, which I keep referring to them, and we'll link your um, master teacher page to this podcast so people can take a look at that. But when I see your strategy, I see a lot of what you describe in them because like you, you like to build relationship with students. You have a variety of ways to do more of that one-on-one work. The authenticity come through in a lot of what you were doing as a science teacher in the connections yeah. to the real world. So it's incredible that at, at what, age eight, seven, eight, you could have been yeah. so impressed with something that eventually when you became a teacher, there's a lot of that that infuses in that. Is that, is that right? Oh, absolutely. Well, and even my mom and my aunt will talk about like when I was, even before I was in school, I was leading people through activities mm. and plays and, and all sorts mm-hmm. of things, like instructing them on what we should be doing. So I have been practicing to be a teacher for a very long time. So if you were practicing to be a teacher for a very long time, and I, my next question to you is, was like, when is the first time you actually officially practice this? Where is the first place you taught? Was it in Montana? Mm. Tell us about I think this. Is, yes. I actually think this is the most interesting thing about my career. Um, I started in a one-room schoolhouse, and huh. I was the only teacher I taught in, or I taught grades um, from kindergarten to eighth grade. I had what? four kindergartners, a fourth grader, a sixth grader, seventh grader, and two eighth graders. And that, I think, is that even though it was my first year of teaching, and we can talk about the challenges of first-year teaching when you're in a one-room schoolhouse, but yes. um, I think that is the moment where I got it in my brain that I could do self-paced learning, mm. which I eventually did with my science classroom, right? And that's what you see in the master teacher project is that blended learning with that self-paced element. But that's where it started it's mm. because I had kindergartners who needed like that one-to-one support. So I had to have my mm. fourth, mm. sixth, seventh, and eighth graders working through through materials mm. without me during that first half of the day. And then we would switch over and I would give that one-to-one instruction for them. So there was a lot of that self-paced and those yeah. those processes and models and best practices for um, making that happen actually already built in in my first year. So I, I think that's the most interesting thing because it just kind of does. It's like you said, you had that challenge to work around and by figuring out a way to work around it, you also discovered something that maybe um, maybe you wouldn't have thought about possible that early in your career. Because oh, of those constraints, right? If anybody is listening to this has never heard the term self-paced learning, there's no better person than you that I can think of that would explain this in very simple terms. How would you explain this idea of self-paced learning in your room to mm. people who have never maybe experienced it? Well, when I think about self-paced learning, I think there's an added layer that is just incredibly important. It's it's about self-management. 
and about like building out a learning experience for yourself based on the materials and the guidance that you're receiving from an instructor, but you're creating that pace. You're creating the experience for yourself of like, how do I actually engage with these materials? So if I get an article, am I listening to that article? Am I reading that article with a peer? Like, who am I grouping with? Who's actually Mm -hmm. like working on these materials at the same time? So for me, it's about personalization, right? And providing that differentiated support along the way as that instructor guide, because students are at their own pace as they go through that curriculum. Now there, there are boundaries, right? And you can set like, you can set limits on the time of like someone can spend on this unit and you like support them to get there. But um, self-paced is really about meeting that student where they're at and making sure it's a personalized experience. And you've helped transform so many classrooms. And I think you know that, but there's so many people I've coached in my career or helped in my career that came across the way you were doing self-based learning in your room, saw these examples and had this moment of be like, oh, I think I could do this. And I think my kids would would love some aspects of it, all of it. And um, I have a memory that I want to share. I hope you won't mind me sharing this. The no, year is 2016, maybe 2017. We are together at a conference. I believe it's in Providence, Rhode Island, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm off. It's a blended learning conference. No, you're right. You're right. I'm presenting there with Daniel and Jeff about a blended learning project. Marcia, you're presenting there on your own. And I think you has just started working with us, or maybe not yet. And no, nope, not yet. Session, not yet, right? And you're doing a session on self-based learning. And I'm like, I'm going to go see her session. And I go to your session. Of course, we have a full house. Like, There's not enough chairs in this room for people who want to run about this. You are sitting on the floor yeah, with Daniel. I remember floor, this. Yep. You show up. And I think it's the most, it's the gussiest thing I've ever seen. And it was so beautiful because you know how we sometimes say like, you'll preach personalization, but you'll present to us as if personalization shouldn't apply to us. And you stood there and you were like, which is going to be about self-based learning. So there's no way that I'm going to do this session as a traditional session. I want you to learn about self-based learning and how you could do it. But I also want you to learn in a self-based way. And you set up, you showed the website, which I still have bookmarked on my computer that you had created for the conference. You gave directions for people to start. And then you started navigating that room and floating around answering questions. I don't think you spoke more than one or two minutes to the whole group. And I was just like, Man, you believe in this thing. And then even when you're presenting to adults, you're doing it this way. And I think for, for a lot of people, I think they had the same thing I had, which is like, yeah, if you believe in it, just like let us experience it and see how that yep. feels too, right? And that was yeah, awesome. Yeah, I remember <laughs> there was a woman, I can't exactly remember what she said, but she came up to me afterwards. She goes, I didn't think that was going to go very well, but <laughs> I was proven wrong. <laughs> I was like, well, I didn't know how that was going to go either. Yeah, and also because we're conditioned to expect a conference presentation to feel a certain type of way for years, right? We, we're conditioned to expect something inspiring in the beginning, maybe a video, maybe a, a couple of quotes, and then some memes to make us laugh. And just like, but it's not going to really make us do some work and research or work. Right. And you were like, nope, that's not what I'm going to do. So like, you don't leave it. I'm just going to be myself in there. And I was like, okay, um, I want to work with this person. I do. So that was awesome. So well, you started. I'm so to- glad that that happened too. So. 
you started taking us a little bit to your to your teaching into your classroom, and so we're going to move forward from the beginning of your career to you teaching and, and the peak of your teaching, and and we're going to get into content and craft a little bit because I would love for people to learn more about about your teaching. So let's start with content. You're a science teacher. I love science. Um, do you have a favorite lesson or unit to teach? Why is this your favorite? And what do you think it says about you that it is your favorite? Mm, yes. I think you already mentioned why I I think these types of lessons, I can't actually like pick a, like a specific lesson, but uh -huh. I think you already mentioned like why these types of lessons are the things that I like to do. It is all about authenticity, like the authenticity yeah. piece of it. Yeah. So I love for like a student to read something or watch a video on something or like have have an experience where they're they've learned the content and then they're able to apply it. So, for mm -hmm. instance, when um, rock and mineral identification was actually in the state science standards. I loved this experience where they learned about igneous rocks, they learned about sedimentary, et cetera, et cetera. And then they had to actually go out in like around their house or around the school or wherever they were. And they had to collect, I think it was like 10 or 20 different samples. I think it was 20, 20 samples of just rocks around our area. And then they had to actually identify them. Right. And that's, it's those types of experiences yeah. where you're like, do I actually know this content or am I just like reading this and yep, I'm going to hold on to it for a little bit. But when you have to like apply it to something that is around you in your world, it's just like, wow, I actually don't know that. Maybe I need to go in and read a little bit more or like dig into these identification books or like ask some questions, but that's really where the mm -hmm. learning happens. Right. Yeah. And I, I actually go back to, um, I had this psychology teacher in high school and she took this ruler and she like started a beat on the desk. And I still remember what she said because it like the beat is stuck in my head, but she said, learning is a change in behavior as a result of experience. And so that's always what I hold in my mind is like, what experience can I give students where they're going to like be immersed in it and then be able to like think and reflect about what they actually know and what they don't know. I agree hundred percent with you when it comes to the importance of those experiences. You can imagine as a math teacher that it's a constant struggle for me to figure out how we can create them, but it's always a quest that I've accepted. Um, yeah. One of my favorite projects was for scale modeling in seventh grade. We were creating scale models of monuments of the world and um, and I never felt happier than when I was seeing my kids making a mess in the room and building models. And, and it was always this thing where like some of them were like, oh, if I make a really nice looking Taj Mahal, he's not going to care that it's not at scale. And I was like, no, 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 no. Look at that rubric. Like you can make it right. look really good, but that tower better be in the right proportion with that other one. Otherwise, that's not going to be an A. Um, but <laughs> so it was just like that experience is, is so so important. But I'm just wondering, listening to you, if you can think of an experience you had as a student that was transformative for you like that, where you applied the learning and you felt like, oh, that that sticks so mm. much more. Remember this so much more. Or is it something that you realized as an adult? Oh, it was totally something I realized as an adult. I I think my my K-12 experience, and this is this is the type A perfectionist in me, but it was really about like 
you know, getting the grades and, and yeah. going through the flow in that process. But it wasn't until I hit like even my master's program where we did a lot of um, the, ed, the ed core program was all on action research. And so you had to pick a project and or you had to first identify a challenge and then pick a project and something you wanted to implement and apply this treatment to your class to see what it would actually do, right? Like what the results would be. And that for me was like so incredibly authentic, right? Because it was in my classroom. I was able to make the plans to make that actually happen, hypothesize what I thought was actually going to be the result and then to implement it and see it come to life and then be reflective about that. Like that's, that's where I had that authenticity. That's where I was like, Hmm, I am learning something here. And this like practice, this skill is something I can continue to apply. So I would say that's when it happened. Hmm. That's awesome. So you talked to us about the importance of authentic learning experience application. We've also talked about the importance for you of self-management, self-paced learning and more autonomy in your students and students working on different things. Obviously, people might listen to this and be like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. But there might also be people listening to are like, that sounds like a nightmare to run. That sounds like very challenging, very difficult. So what is a strategy? And you have probably more than one, but I'm going to ask you to pick maybe one. In your bag of tricks that you use in your classroom to make this self-based model be something that worked for you in the kids. And if you want to share a couple, you can share a couple. Mm. Yes. Okay. You have to build the culture for questions. Huh. And I think the simplest strategy that I think is just foundational to having a self-paced classroom is that you answer questions with questions. You refuse and, to answer them. Yep. Like if you, you're asking me, like, where do I even find this? Like, I would come back with a question. Be like, did you did you look in these different locations? Like, where might we find that? And when you do that, when you pose a question back to mm. students, they actually are developing those skills to think critically for themselves, to solve their own problems, to access the resources they need, whether that is a material or that is a person. But that is foundation to self-management because mm. you're building that autonomy. You're building that ownership. Yeah. And then like if they they have that ownership, they have that autonomy, that's when you layer on the personalization. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you think about building something that's self-paced, you have to start with chunks, like small chunks. You have to build the culture for it to happen. And I will tell you, I tried to do this with my chemistry class. And these were students that I had taught in a very traditional way in their freshman year. And then I had them again as seniors after I had like completely transformed the way that I was uh, teaching in my classroom. And they were not bought in because I did not do a great job of building that culture for that class to be able to do self-paced work. So I think that is like the simplest strategy. And that's even as um, I work with a lot of teachers now in different programs in higher ed, and they'll come to me with questions or I will give feedback in like a glow and grow format. And my grows are always like, let's think about da, da, da. And then I ask them a question, right? I'm like, I need them to go discover that answer for themselves because that's the part of 
like not only um, learning in the K-12 world, but also in adult learning too. It's like you have to be able to go find that information for yourself because that's that's when you're actually going to learn. I feel like you're touching on the mindset shift that needs to be behind self-based learning because you're teaching students that maybe in the past I've always thought the source of knowledge is in the in my teacher. Right. And I need to wait for them to say when it's okay to start, to, to, to end, to move to the next level. But then you're trying to move them to a model where they need to believe in, their, in themselves a lot more and their ability to find answers to their questions. And I feel like what you're describing here with this idea of I'm always going to try to answer you with a question, it might take a while, it might be hard at first, but it might help build that self-belief yes. that you can find the answers to your own question. You have that power. Yeah. Well, and the next generation science standards, right? One of the the science and engineering practices is to the asking of questions, right? Mm -hmm. So you're actually modeling those skills for students too. So it wasn't just like building that culture, but there is an intentionality around that with the the skill base too. So now I'm going to ask you to take us to a bad day and then to take us to a very good day. So we're going to start by going to a bad day. On a really bad day in the classroom, either it's you, you don't have it today. Maybe it's them. There's something in the air. There's something that happened. Maybe a bee got in the classroom. Maybe drama happened at lunch. Maybe it's just you. You don't have your mojo. You don't have your energy today. Do you have something that you try to do or tap into when you have a day like that teaching that helps you get this back on track? Yeah. I still use this strategy today. It looks a little bit different than it than it did in the past, but... I used to have a Y file. Did you have a Y file? Like no. A, what is a Y file? I had a, it was just a, a like a folder. And anytime I would get like a positive note or a student would say something to me, whether it was like funny or it was like really kind or appreciative or, um, you know, something happened like winning teacher of the year or like mm-hmm. just those types of things that make this this profession just really exciting and like what you're what you're actually working towards and having impact on students I would actually put all of those in mm-hmm. the folder and so when I had a bad day I would go to my file cabinet I would pull out my folder and I would start to to pull those things and just read them because it'll get you back into that positive mindset of like why yeah. am I actually doing this job yeah so yeah. I still do that to this day That's like a great idea. Comments- but I can see the power of it because also on days like that, you start to doubt every move you make. Like your your confidence is kind of gone. It's like a basketball player who doesn't feel like he's on a hot streak anymore, shooting the basket until all of a sudden he doesn't dare taking the shot that he should take. Sometimes it's like that on days like this. So I can imagine that for you to do that was a good way also to be able to say, no, 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 my perception is off. I'm still, I'm still a good teacher. I'm just having a bad day. Let's get out of there. Do you want to hear mine? Yeah, actually, I really do. So for me, and I can, when I say that, I can think about what happened every single time, which is usually I would turn my back to the class right at the board. And at that moment when they could not see me would be when I'd be like, come on, get it together. This is not you. Usually on a day like that, and if ever there will be students of mine listening to this, they will probably be like, oh yeah, we remember those days. (laughs) It meant that I lost my sense of humor. I lost my kindness. I notice only the little things and the negatives and I nitpick left and right. I snap 
And I, and I, so often the way I would relaunch this is by reminding myself that I was getting, I was letting certain things get under my skin, but the majority of what was happening in my classroom was great, but I was just choosing not to notice it. And I was choosing not to react to it or name it or mention it. And so usually I would remind myself the golden ratio, the four to one golden ratio, four positive noticing, one redirection. And most of the time on days like that, I would probably be like doing four redirections to maybe one or none. And I'd be like, okay, right. you know what? when you turn back around, try to smile, try to look around, try to pick some students that are working hard, trying to do this and say something nice, go to them, crack a joke and start loosening up and try to be back to being yourself. Because we get into these power struggles moments, right? And getting ourselves off of them are so important. And so that was my little inner dialogue. So I don't know what I would name that strategy. Wouldn't be the white box. It would be like, <laughs> slap myself on the face and get yourself Self-talk. Self-talk, self-talk. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So I wonder, do yeah, you use that with your, your kiddos like, I do. as a parent? Hundred percent do, because I sometimes I can hear myself, and I'm like, why all of a sudden you are this nagging person in Florence? Just so often, I need to just take a walk, walk away for a second. It's not staying where this is happening. It's moving yourself away so that right. you can come back uh, with a different uh, composure. So yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So I promise we would go from a bad day to a good day. Do you remember? a time in your classroom where you laughed a lot and maybe your students laughed as well on purpose, by accident. What was a very funny day in your classroom? I remember one day it was in my astronomy class. It was the first year that I taught it. So it was a massive class in like 25 students, but we were talking about like the early models of the universe and like what the theories were around, like how the universe was created, what it looked like, all of those different things. And they had been in these groups that they were working from like Plato's perspective or Aristotle's perspective. And we did this activity where I then had them do a debate and they had to talk about like their view through the lens of that individual on like the early universe. And it was one of those moments where I was just like, Oh, okay. I'm going to hear some really great content. But what I, what came out of that was like, I saw like really great actors, lots of wonderful, like props and enthusiasm. And there was this one presentation. I, I can't even remember this kiddo's name, but I like, I can see his face and I can see his movements. And the entire class was just rolling in laughter because we heard the content, right? But we also had this like amazing experience. We were like assessing what needed to be assessed, but we were enjoying it. <laughs> and watching like watching this just play out, I was like, oh, there's so much more to this activity than just like, do we understand the material yeah. that we just covered? But like, what did we get out of it as an audience? Like, what do we, what do we learn about each other? And I think that was like just a really great moment for us to feel really connected yes. and for those students to just be so incredibly vulnerable in showing their talents and skills in a different way in a science classroom. So Absolutely. I think that was probably one of the, the moments that has stuck out in my brain. Oh, that's a good one. You've been talking about connections. You've been talking about personalization. You've been talking about relationships. I want to ask every single master teacher we get, 
the same question around relationships, because I feel like if there is common thread between all the, the great teachers you meet is that they seem to have this unique ability to build really strong relationship with their students. But we don't often see them do that because it's kind of more of a hidden side of the work. So what is one of the ways in your classroom you built relationship with your students that maybe people wouldn't know about or see in the master teacher's videos, let's say? Mm -hmm. I think when I was building out that self-paced classroom, I had that vision of I wanted them to be these positive collaborators who could be self-managers of their learning. So that was something I would like reiterate over and over and over again. And the structure of self-paced lends it really lends really well to actually building relationships with students because you're not up at the front of the room delivering material. You're actually interacting one-to-one with each one of those students. So I would actually, if people would come to my classroom, sometimes they wouldn't be able to find me because I would just be like sitting down on a beanbag chair with a group of students, just having conversations. And we talk about content, I would answer questions, right? I would throw my questions back at them, but we'd also be talking about life, right? Like what are their favorite games? Like I had this one student who, he wouldn't do anything for anybody else in any of his other classes. He was failing all of his courses, but in science, because we talked about, I can't even remember what the game was, but it was a game where we were like building a world and I was doing it on my iPad and he was also, and we would have conversations about that. And I was like, okay, well, tell me like where you're at in this activity. <laughs> like, so those types of connections, just that one-to-one interaction and asking them about their days, like giving them that space to share about themselves and to be able to share about your own self with them. Like that's what built relationships in my classroom. And I even know like, to this day, like the one-to-one relationships instead of just being in a group setting and building those relationships for me is really important. So I think that's just something personally I bring into any education space that I'm in because I want to develop that deep one-to-one relationship with that student. Yeah. And I think in what you're sharing, for me, I see two layers. One layer is that you created a system that makes it uh easier for you to have one-on-one conversation with folks, right? I mean, easier, not easy, but it's baked in the system that you're going to multiply the opportunities to meet one-on-one with students if you're doing a system like self-based learning with students that are all progressing at a different pace uh, and then you're checking in with them. So it's baked in the system, right? However, yeah, it's not not an addition, not something that you have to like go out and plan for like those interactions in different spaces. Absolutely. However, it could be baked in the system, but you also could not have the awareness that you have that in some of these moments, you should talk about something else than science or the grade or the goal or the assessment. Because you realize that for some of your students, probably for the majority of them, that one-to-one time is also an opportunity to build relationship and care for each other. And so I think it's the combination of both of these things that you're describing to me that are like the magic of what, and and I've seen that magic in you both in watching the videos uh, of you teaching, but also seeing you present and teach and facilitate with you and and coach. And so that seems very much like you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Switch on on what you're passionate a little bit about already, but I want to go further into this in the closing section of our our talk today. 
I, I want to talk a bit, a little bit about your advocacy and your and, and your passion and wh what you want to promote because you've been teacher of the year um, for the state of Montana. You've been to the White House, I believe, at least two times. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. Two different presidents? Mm, no. no. Same, same president? Same president. But the president now was the vice president. So at the time. I technically have met two presidents. So you went to the White House as a teacher of the year. And then would you tell us why you went back? Oh, the Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Teaching okay. for the state of Montana. Yeah, so that's pretty amazing. And so I know that part of this experience, too, is advocacy and using your platform to um, to be able to change um, the education system in the world for the for the better. You also are a doctor. Uh, you teach at university level. And so Monica, our previous guest, Monica Washington, that you know very well as well, that worked with us and was a teacher of the year as well, um, left a question for you that I want to ask you. And our question is, what is something that you're so passionate about when it comes to education that you will go to the top of the mountain to shout it, um, that you will go to battle for? Like, what are some, what is some of your, um, what are some of your, 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 not battles, I don't like that term, but what are some of your, right. of your um, aspirations when it comes to changing our systems? Science education is definitely one of them. And I would say working with new teachers. So we're, building that pipeline for new teachers. So let's just talk about science ed for a second. There are many, when I talk to people who are our age and they have gone through the school system, many of them will say that they have never had earth science or uh, their elementary years didn't consist of any science. Mm -hmm. One of the things I know about science education is that science education builds problem solvers it builds people who can critically think, builds people who can innovate. And there's like this, this element of tech, technology literacy, right? That you're building through the use of these tech tools that you're leveraging in science content. So when I think about science education, like that needs to be an entire pathway of learning, just like math, just like reading. Because in science, you're applying the math, you're yes. applying the reading, and you're building all of these skills that are so incredibly important for your career in whatever career you're in. Like critical thinking is an important skill to have in every single career. So my advocacy is really around like, how do we bring science education into each classroom? How do we support educators in building their um their science knowledge enough that they feel confident to be able to implement that in their classroom and to support students through those types of experiences and getting them to answer these questions and ask questions and build models and those types of things because that is where I think we develop our leaders for the future, right? Is through, through that pathway of like growing as a scientist because everyone is a scientist. Even if they're like, I'm not good at science, like, everyone is asking questions on a daily basis. Everyone is observing, like you are a scientist. It's just about how you can leverage those skills and whether or not you have those skills to be able to make those decisions or those moves or whatever you are, you're working on bringing those into that work. That's so, so Science education. Yeah, that's so important. And you made me realize something I wasn't thinking about, about the way that 
we don't treat the teaching of science as a as a natural pathway in well building blocks and it can be very uh disrupted and people can be missing some important blocks of this experience um and and that's not good we need we need excellent scientists in our in our world and, and us science is so much fun so it's it, and it should yeah. be it should be it is a lot of fun yeah. it's the foundation of research too right like if we want to bring best practices into classrooms or we want to be bring best practices into whatever industry we're in right like science is one of those ways yeah. to do that and that's you're a researcher when you're a scientist like you're collecting data you're making observations you're coming to conclusions and yeah. i think there's just so many skills that are developed in that pathway of like learning science throughout that K12 world that i think we are missing mm -hmm. and i really i want to see some changes there right and i yeah. i think those changes whether it's small or big like at least from my perspective is I, I'm supporting that through the Masters of Science and Science Ed program, right? Working with science educators to build those practices, to build those action research skills, to bring those into classrooms so that you're like generating these other advocates to bring science to, to more of a, a light to the rest of the, the world and the nation. Yeah, that's fantastic. So my last question for you today, um, will be about a topic that I think you and I are very passionate about, which is transforming professional development and making it something that teachers can really enjoy and find applicable. Another uh, common theme, authentic, uh, useful. Um, and so we both took what we believe in our classroom to be important and say, hey, why don't we think about making PD feel this way? And so you and I have been working at Better Lesson for more than five or six years now, probably seven. Um, yep. And one of the things that we've been tinkering and experimenting the most about is coaching and particularly coaching virtually and making coaching accessible to a large number of folks um, and applicable to what they need to work on, but not necessarily in their building because I might not have in my building in Montana, right. somebody who is an expert in that thing that I'm trying to do, but that expert might exist somewhere else. And I could connect with this person because it's 2023 and we can do that uh, virtually very well right now. So when it comes to virtual coaching, you lead the way for us as an organization. You really created and, and run that system for us. What is something you wish people knew about some of the benefits of virtual coaching that maybe they don't realize or ignore? Well, first it's like that partnership, right? Like if you want a partner, you want somebody who is on your side, who is your cheerleader, who can question your thinking, brainstorm with you, like that's what coaching is. And whether that's in person or virtual, like we can we can build those skills together. I think a lot of what I hear from educators around like, ooh, I, I could never do virtual coaching. It doesn't have to be just educators, right? Like anybody who is like entering a space where, you know, virtual coaching is an option and they're choosing whether or not they want to do it is like, Ooh, I, I just don't want to be vulnerable with that person. Like, I'm afraid I'm going to say something that I like, I shouldn't be saying, or it's going to be evaluative or I'm going to be criticized or those types of things. And I think it's just so incredibly important to know that, that virtual space is for you, right? It's, it's a personalized space. It is a space where that, like, if you have a really good coach, that coach is going to tell you when they're coaching you and when they're being your consultant. 
and is going to ask those like really hard questions. It's going to allow you to think like very meta about your own practice and what you want to do for students um, or even whatever industry you're working in, like what you, what you want to do as a manager, right? So there's virtual coaching just for me is like, it's a personalized space. And I know it is hard to be vulnerable and it is hard to also role play and like go through scenarios and to try different things. But it's through those types of experiences where you're like talking about it, planning it, and then you're coming back and actually reflecting. And that's where your learning happens, right? Because yeah. your learning changes your behavior because of your experiences. Absolutely. I have one last question for you. What is a question you wish I'd ask you today? Yes. Well, I am, I'm an early adopter always, right? So I guess my question is like, what is that one innovation that we foresee having like the greatest impact on education and even on teaching and learning? Like, what is that, that innovation that is going to change the way we educate? So I'm going to do two things to that question. First, we're going to ask you that question. Scott, I can't wait to hear what your perspective is on this, knowing your expertise in blended learning and instructional technology. And I will ask the permission to ask this question to our next guest as well. So Jesse, what do you see as the most impactful innovation in the next few years when it comes to teaching and learning? I will say AI, and here's why I will say AI, is because from a blended learning perspective, a personalization of learning and instruction and that lens of differentiation like there are so many things you can do with an AI tool to enhance that experience. So for instance, I like if I'm trying to think of differentiated practices for a student who is struggling with a certain skill and I go to ChatGPT and I say, coach me through coming up with some differentiated practices that allow me to support the student in a personalized way. You could say, I want 10 of these, like give me 10 options. You can read through some of those and you can personalize that, right? Like choose the ones that align with the need. So it's not just about like the efficiency, right? Of like being able to do that kind of stuff quickly, but mm -hmm. it's about that, that learning experience too, of like you're being coached by these tools. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we use video, for instance, like maybe I need a very specific video and I, I know what I wanted to say, I can plug that into AI and I can say, hey, go watch this, right? Like if we're doing a station rotation, I'm like, this student needs these particular skills. Here's some videos, right? Instead of going out and just doing a search, you can do a lot of things with AI pretty efficiently if you are okay, number one, with like exploring those tools and learning about them and thinking about how you can actually leverage them in the classroom. But I really do think it's gonna change the way we even think about our professional development mm -hmm. like, because I can use it to coach me through some difficult conversations. I can use it to coach me through like, how do I actually develop this lesson? I can use it as models and examples. And I do that in my online classes. I'm like, these are the types of paragraphs that I'm looking for that are evidence-based. Like see if you can do a comparison between what you've written here and what is um, like my example. So there's just a lot of things that you can do with AI currently. And we're just like, we're on the cusp of mm -hmm. what is what is about to explode, I That's, believe. Yeah. And that makes me think about what we experienced, you and I, between 2010 and 2018, 2019, all the way to the pandemic almost, which was that first wave that was around blended learning. 
in technology integration in the classroom. And you would have both huge excitement from what some of these tools could allow us to do, but also incredible fears. And most of the fears around like this idea of like, are we gonna do this instead of good teaching? Are we gonna right. let this replace good teaching? And both you and I- Is it like, gonna take more time, more, right? right. Like, right. And yeah. then also, like, are we saying that these tools are going to be better than we are at teaching kids? And I think you and I will both be preaching this for years, which is like, no, really good teacher utilize the technology to actually allow them to do better the part of the job that they that they can do better than anybody else with the kids. Right. So I think I want to ask you that follow up question about what you said when it comes to AI. I agree with you, but I also want to hear what your take is around what AI cannot replace in a classroom. And what or what AI can do for a teacher that allows then a teacher to do better or have more time to do what they uniquely positioned to do. Yeah. When we talked about the building of relationships, right, that movement around the classroom, like, yes, I had a system, right? I had a way to track it, but it was very manual around like where students were at Mm -hmm. as they were moving self-paced. Um, the types of materials I was putting together. I would spend hours like putting together these materials so that they actually would have the experience that they needed to have in order to meet those objectives and um, move forward with the next unit. But I think if I would have had a tool, an AI tool or a slew of AI tools that I can use kind of mash together to be able to do what I did in my classroom, I'm not sure that I would have taken as much time Mm-hmm. And I would have had more time to think about like, how do I continue to build that culture of the classroom? Mm-hmm. So I'm not necessarily saying that like AI, if you implement it right now, is going to just be like transformative. Mm-hmm. But I think as we like add little pieces of how we use it in our practice over a period of time, we can start to think about like, how how do you actually like leverage those those relationships build that culture because you're not necessarily thinking about all of the content. It it reminds me a lot of like, as a first year teacher, right? You are like so heavily focused on the content because you're like trying to learn what you need to Mm -hmm. like teach and then what lessons you're going to do and like how that actually is like playing out in the classroom. And then you have to make pivots and adjustments, those types of things. Like I almost see it like that, right? Like you are, you're at that beginning phase But then like you start to build out your toolkit that allows you to do that next thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's your toolkit in education that's going to allow us to be more transformative in how we actually educate students and learn. Yeah. And it sounds like at the core, things that we would always have to do as a teacher is build a relationship, ignite passion, uh, be able to personalize the support that everybody needs and and provide that, that human touch that AI cannot provide, but be able to maximize everything else uh, so that we have more time to give to these really important moments. Jesse, thank you so much for your time today. I, I learned thank so much. Thank you. Um, and I really enjoyed uh, talking with you today. And um, um, I'm, I'm so looking forward to the next few years of innovation for us as well and thinking about how we can think of ways that AI can disrupt and, and improve also professional development. Yeah, let's come back in three years and listen to this and we'll see. We'll see what the predictions, like where they actually landed. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Lessons Learned. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe or share. 
And for more content created with educators in mind, consider subscribing to our monthly newsletter at betterlesson.com backslash newsletter. Until next time.